Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher. I'm at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you and your household are doing well. We are uh, talking about the subject of uh, God's grace and man's faith. And this is actually the third part of this series. And we are talking about the grace of God. And uh, we are going to continue on that subject today. But first of all, a testimony, a story like I've been sharing every day. And this is uh, from Belgium. Uh, when I used to live in Belgium, 1977, on the, in, on the coastal town of Ostend, I spent some time there. And uh, we used to be out on the streets witnessing every day, preaching. And uh, I, I began to notice this one guy, he used to show up at our street meetings and listen to our testimonies and our singing. He had, he, I mean, he, he had long hair like this, long, very long hair. And he wore these uh, wraparound sunglasses, dark sunglasses, and he used to stand and watch us. So uh, after a few days, I engaged him in a conversation and he was very cold, very hard, standoffish. But I, I, I was relentless. I kept after him because I felt I want to win this guy for Jesus. Well, um, then one day after I managed to somehow, you know, talk to him because sometimes you have to talk to a person every time you see them, greet them. And so you win their confidence. So I began to talk to him. It turned out he was with a gang of violent bikers, some, I don't know, Hell's Angel, whatever it was, but he was with a gang of bikers. They were dealing drugs and, and all that. And so, um, uh, so, and he was also using drugs. He was using heavy drugs, heroin or something like that. Anyway, so I talked to him and then uh, I was talking to him, ta telling, telling him how much Jesus loved him and that God had a plan and a purpose for his life. And, and, and you see, we must, even if people are hard and resistant, we must keep after them if we want to win them. So anyway, then uh, one day he took his sunglasses off. I have never seen eyes like his. They were like pieces of ice. They were cold and hard. I was shocked. Anyway, so then a few days later, you know, this was going on every day for weeks. And then a few days later, he, uh, he told me that he was with this gang and they were very violent and that he, he was very interested in what we were sharing. He had been listening to the testimonies and all the things we had said about Jesus. And he wanted to give his life to Jesus and he wanted out of that old life. But he was very afraid because if he, if he did, he said, they will kill me. And uh, he said that the first thing they would do, they would beat him up to an inch of his life and then they would kill him. He said, these people are very bad. They're very violent. Once you're with them, you can't get out. And then I found myself saying something to him. I said, John, that was his name. I said, John, listen. I just want to tell you that no matter what people do to you, it is worth it all if you give your life to Jesus because you have eternal life. I said, I just came out of prison last year for, uh, for preaching the gospel and, and persecution is a part of the Christian life. I said, but let's say this. I said that if you have any doubt about that Jesus loves you and that he was doubt, that he was willing to die for you, that he died for you. I said, what about if I take that beating for you when they beat you up with chains? If I take that beating for you, because I have nothing to lose, I've already lost everything. I said, if I take that beating for you, would, would that be enough for, 
for you to tell yourself that I must take this step and follow Jesus and, uh, you know, and uh, because I said, I said, John, let me say this to you, your soul, your eternal destiny, your life, you are worth it. You might think you are nothing, but you are worth it to Jesus. You're worth so much that Jesus was willing to die for you and for me. I am willing to lay down my life for you. And when I said this, he broke down, his chin began to tremble and he began to weep. He wept and wept and wept. He said, I want to give my life to Jesus. So he gave his life to Jesus. And then uh, uh, two days later, he showed up in church and uh, he had his hair cut. And then he, this is what he said. I said, you got your hair cut. He says, you know, I was an Absalom. I didn't even know who that he knew who Absalom was. But he said, I, I was an Absalom, but I got my hair cut because I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to be like that anymore. And then he got baptized and God completely changed his life. And in fact, uh, he, he gave me a beret, a, a, a paratrooper's beret. He didn't know that I was a paratrooper, but a, a maroon paratrooper's beret. He, he gave it to me and, uh, and I still have it with me 43 years later. But his life was changed. And you know, when Jesus touches people, their lives are changed. But for Jesus to be able to do that, he uses us. We must preach the gospel to people. And only then can that take place. Anyway, let's go to Romans 5. And, uh, and I'm reading to, I'll go, you know, a few verses at a time. It says for, uh, from Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. When we were without strength, that means when we were weak, when we were helpless, Jesus died for us. So Jesus didn't die for us because we were good and strong or we are holy, but he died for us because we were weak, we were helpless. This says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one, will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God command, commendeth his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it says that it's, very, it's not very often that you see someone even die for a good man. But he says, this is the love of God for us, that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So remember that Jesus died for us when we were yet sinners. So I tell people that Jesus didn't die on the cross for Christians. He died on the cross for sinners. We must remember that. He died on the cross for sinners. And I'm a Christian, but he died for me before I was a Christian. Then it says here, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So it says that now we are justified by his blood. Right now, as I stand, I have received Jesus Christ and I have been justified by his blood. But what's going to happen? Because I stand right now justified by his blood, I will be saved from the wrath of God through Jesus. That means that Ultimately, uh, you know, um, there, there's going to be a judgment and that's when the wrath of God will be poured out upon mankind for their sins. Upon the sins of man, the wrath of God will be poured out and I am going to be saved from that because I'm justified by the blood of Jesus and I belong to Jesus Christ 
and I am in Christ. I am a, I am with Christ. I'm in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ, in God. And if I continue in Christ, what's going to happen right at the end when the wrath of God is poured out? I'm going to save from that also because of Jesus. Then it says here, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So it says that we were enemies of God. We were against him and we were reconciled to God. That means we were one, made one with God. That's what it means. We were separated, but we were brought together with him through the death of Jesus Christ. We have been reconciled to God. So now because we are reconciled, we shall be saved through his life because the saving life of Christ is in us. So we shall be saved from, uh, from the wrath of God at the end because of his saving life. Now, I want to add something, bring something to your notice here. I want to talk about the three tenses of salvation. But uh, it's, very, it's a very interesting concept you find in the scripture. There is only one salvation. Let me make it clear. There is, there are no three salvations. There is only one salvation and that salvation has already taken place. And uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins. And uh, uh, at that time, the, you know, the, the, the salvation was made ready for whoever would accept it. When Jesus died on the cross, carrying the sins of mankind, he died, he was buried, he was raised again. This, that salvation was made ready and it's available to all mankind. But when we come to Jesus and accept him as our Lord and Savior, and we, we give our lives to him and surrender to him, what happens then is that that is when that salvation actually takes place in our lives, that act of reconciliation takes place in our lives and, and we are born again, we receive a new life and our lives are put into Christ. And then from that moment onward, because we are in Christ, God has a continued work going on in us. So let me explain to you the three tenses of salvation, because here we see two of those tenses in the verses I shared with you is that, is that now we are, we are now justified by God but we shall be saved from wrath through him. That means that we are saved, but we shall be saved at the end because we are saved now. We shall be through Jesus, you know. So anyway, there, so as I said, remember this, there's no three salvations. There's only one salvation. It has already happened. But because of that first, you know, experience of salvation, God does an ongoing work in our lives. So but the Bible talks about these three, uh, three, uh, three dimensions or three tenses or whatever way you can use your own nomenclature of salvation. Firstly, we are saved from the penalty of sin and that is called justification. Justification is when we are saved from the penalty of sin. And I'm reading this to you. When people speak of salvation in Christ, this is the primary aspect of salvation they refer to. So in Ephesians 2, 8, this is what Paul says to the church, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Here we see salvation in the past tense. This is the first tense, the first dimension of salvation, and that is we have been saved. By grace 
we have been saved or in the King James it says we are saved. That means by grace we are saved through faith. This is what has happened. That is called justification, right? And this refers to the once and for all work in which God delivers a sinner from the penalty of sin. That's the, the you know, um, this is the once and for all work that God does in our lives and he delivers us from the penalty of sin. And the basis of this deliverance is God's grace because it says here, by grace are you saved through faith, okay? Now, the purpose of this, we see in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, who has saved us <coughs> and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus because before the world began. It means that God has saved us, but the purpose we see here is that he called us with a holy calling and this not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ before the world began. That means that even before the world began in Christ, your name was written right there in the heart of God. Hallelujah. Before, not forget about before you were created or your parents were created or your grandparents or your great, 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 great grandparents were created. Before Adam, even Adam was put on this earth. Before that, it says before the world began, long before that, God had his name, had, I'm sorry, your name written on your heart. In Christ Jesus, God had a purpose and his grace ready, prepared for you. Isn't that wonderful? So you are a living act of divine destiny. God had his, and this applies not only just to you and to me, but for every human being. Nobody is exempted from God's grace. Every single human being on this earth. Think of the worst of all sinners. Even their names are written in the heart of God. God had prepared a destiny and purpose for it. And of course, there are people who never find that destiny and purpose, unfortunately. But the fact is that God does have that written for all of us. He has a salvation plan for all of us. That was his purpose. Now, and mercy, that's the third thing. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his grace, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Ghost. That means that, again, in all these three, these three scriptures, one thing comes through. We have been saved. We have been saved by his grace through faith. And it is the work of God, it's the gift of God. And this is because God had a purpose and, and life set for us. And our names were written in the heart of God long before the world began. And he has saved us according to his mercy, according to his love, according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration by, and renewing by the Holy Ghost. Now, the, the means by which we take a hold of the salvation offered to us is not works or deeds, but faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you should know that you have already been saved from the penalty of sin. I'm, I'm saying this because many people question, you know, am I really saved? Because the slightest mistake they make or they wake up out and come out of the wrong side of the bed one morning or, you know, bad things happen or they slip up, then they immediately begin to wonder, am I really saved? 
that, does Jesus really love me? Listen, you are loved and you are saved. It's once and for all. And if that is the case, you should never respond to an altar call in church because every time you do that, you undermine your own assurance of salvation. In fact, you should be building up your assurance of salvation instead of, you know, you're already saved and you had a bad day. So on Sunday when they were visiting evangelists, he gives an altar call, you run to the altar because you think you're not saved. That is undermining your assurance of salvation. But what you should do on the contrary is get into the word of God and build up your assurance of salvation. Okay, so uh, the past tense or past dimension, past tense dimension of salvation, we have been saved from the penalty of sin that is called justification. Now, the second tense of salvation is the present. That means God saves us from the power of sin every day, which is called sanctification. He saves us from the power of sin every single day. And this is actually a result of the past salvation, past tense of salvation. Because we have been saved, God saves us from the power of sin every single day. And that is called just, uh, that is called sanctification. The Christian salvation does not end with past deliverance from sin's penalty. That's not the end. That's only the beginning. In addition to the past reality of salvation and deliverance, the scriptures teach that God is also saving us in the present. That is being saved. So not only has Jesus saved us, but he continues to save us every day. And this second aspect of salvation is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit and his word in our lives, saving us from the power of sin. We call this work of God in our lives sanctification. So if you're a child of God, I want you to know that God is at work in you every single day. You may not be perfect, but he's at work in you and he at work in you and he's saving you and me every day. First Corinthians 1 18. It says for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. Actually, in the Greek, it says unto us that are being saved. It is the power of God. That means that that salvation is at work in our lives every day. And every day we experience the saving life of Christ in us, how he saves us and delivers us from the snares of the devil and from the power of sin every single day. Second Corinthians 2.15, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are being saved and in them that perish. Hallelujah. This aspect of salvation is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in delivering God's power, uh, God's people from the power of sin. And we call this sanctification. Know and understand that you are being saved from the power of sin every single day by the power of the blood, the word and the spirit of God. So now I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to you in the context of grace because some people think, well, you know, I've been, I've actually heard people say, well, you know, since Jesus died on the cross long before I was born. So he, he, he basically cleansed me and forgave all my sins, past, present and future. So my past sins are forgiven. My present sins are forgiven. My future sins are forgiven. And I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And so there's no more penalty. Jesus has paid the penalty. And this, then they say, well, that means, I mean, they, people believe that people actually believe this, that that means I can do anything I like. You know, I can, I can, uh, uh, 
well, I won't even mention some of the horrible things that people do. So pe people do that. They, they kind of lack, uh, they, they get lax with, with holiness and purity and they, and they end up committing all kinds of sins because they say, my sin's already forgiven. And uh, so anything I do is, is works. Is, so it's not works. I'm under grace. I'm already forgiven. And in fact, it ends up with this that people say, well, there's really no sin problem. The problem is that people don't know they have already been made righteous. That's the real problem. So I know I've been made righteous. So there's really, I don't have any issues with sin. So, you know, and, and this is a grave deception because one of the things about salvation is this ongoing salvation that Jesus saves us from sin. He saves us from impurity every single day. When we walk with Jesus and we walk with the Holy Spirit and we are in the word, you know, we become very sensitive even to small things, believe me. And, 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 and every little thing that is displeasing to the heart of the Father that in any way can disturb our fellowship with the Father shows up to the surface. And, and, and that's when we, we you know, the, because of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, we, we straighten out. And that's where repentance comes in. Repentance basically means to change your mind about certain things that, uh, and, and that change of mind means a change of direction in your life. And that's what repentance is. Some people say 1 John 1, 9 is not for Christians. It says, because that, ver that verse they say was put in there for the Gnostics, you know, that if we confess our sins, he's just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's for the Gnostics. It's not for the Gnostics, beloved, because that whole letter was written by John to the church. Because if you read verse one, it says the preamble, it says that, you know, this is for me. John is written to God's people, God's family, you know, God's church. And, and so this letter, why on earth would uh, there would be a sentence there that is intended for the Gnostics? It's not for the Gnostics. It is for the believers and uh, it is, let, let me just say this, it is not your act of repentance that saves you, that saves you. It is the blood of Jesus that saves you. So, but the act of repentance, it shows your heart towards God. It, it, it's a step forward in acknowledging that what I have done in, is wrong and I'm receiving the grace of God that cleanses and forgive me and forgives me. Not repenting means that you, 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 you take things with a lot of, of uh, what did they say, laissez-faire, you know, you, you just, you just uh, brush things off and move on like they never happened. You can't do that because even, look, look we even teach our kids when, if my kids are, have a, refuse to share their toys with uh, some visiting family's kids and my kids behave bad, I tell them, I said, listen, you apologize. And if I offend anyone, I will make sure that I apologize. And so if we teach our kids to apologize and we apologize ourselves to maintain our relationships, uh, how come we can't apologize to God? Because that's what repentance is. It's coming to the Father and saying, Father, I messed up. I'm sorry. Help me. And, and that's when we receive help. And not just going on and say, well, I've been made righteous. I'm okay. You know, you're not okay. You have messed up and you need to make things right with God. That's just the way it is. Because if you don't do that, you are hindering that, on, that, that ongoing work of sanctifi sanctification in your life and God wants to do a great work in my life and, and in our lives. And that's what grace is all about. Grace, it changes us. 
It takes us to a higher place, to a, you know, to something higher, something better, something greater. And sanctification is a part of grace. Through his grace, God continues his work in our lives after that first salvation that we receive in Christ. And he will continue. And the, and the scripture says, he who has begun a good work in you shall continue until the day of the return of Christ. Hallelujah. I'm thankful. I'm under grace and my life is surrendered to Jesus and I serve him with all my heart and he's doing his ongoing work in my life, not because of my good works and because I am special, but because of his love and his mercy upon my life. Now, then the third aspect of salvation, which is the future, the third tense. So with the past salvation, which has happened, and that is, and based on the past is the present salvation that God is working in our lives. And then the future, the future is, which is called glorification. So it's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Glorification, it means that we will be saved at the very end from the wrath of God. The final aspect of salvation fills up with hope and anticipation. It promises that when God saves, he will one day deliver them from the presence of sin. It says Romans 5 verses 9 to 10, much more than 9 and 10, much more than being now justified by his blood. It means we are justified by his blood right now. We shall be, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So it says Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than we believe. So it's talking about this, the third tense of salvation, our salvation. We already have salvation and we are being saved every day by from the power of sin, by, by Jesus working in us, by the word of God, by the Holy Ghost. And then there's an ultimate salvation. It is near to us. And uh, the writer of the, uh, to the Hebrew stated, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. So Christ has already saved us, but we are waiting for him and he will appear again to save us from wrath and from this evil world. And it says in 1 John 3, verse 23, Beloved, beloved, now we are the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. It says that now, right now, where I stand right now, I'm a child of God, but we don't know exactly what it'll be like. But we know that when he appears, when I stand face to face before him, I shall be just like he is. Hallelujah. And then I love the next verse. It says, and every man who has this hope purifies himself, even as he's pure. That means when I live in this hope that one day I'm going to see Jesus and be like him, it purifies me just like my Jesus is pure. So grace makes you pure. It has an, it, it includes an, an ongoing work of grace in our lives that continues until the end and until the end comes when we stand before Jesus, we shall be like him. And I don't want to uh, lose that wonderful thing that God is doing in my life by, by uh, using the concept of grace and falling into lasciviousness. But 
just just remember this grace is a wonderful thing revelation for those who have been brought up under legalism and they're tired of church legalism and church legalism is another kind of legalism and that is not the uh, laws of Moses, but it's a combination of certain Old Testament scriptures and man-made laws in churches and denominations just because the leaders and the pastors in the past fear that if they don't impose these man-made laws, people will fall into sin. Well, let me, let me just say this. People sin just as much and even more in the most legalistic churches. Believe me, legalism never keeps a person from sin. It is the grace of God that can keep us from sin. But anyway, so remember this. So uh, there's an ongoing work of God in our lives and, the, and that's the work of grace. So let's continue in that and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for your hand upon each person's life, upon their families. I curse every sickness, disease. I curse poverty and lack and fear in their lives. Let them grow into the fullness of what you have intended for them and let them be recipients of everything that you have for us through Jesus. In Jesus' name, God bless you.